Welcome back to Those Happy Places, the podcast that treats theme parks, rides, and attractions like literature. I'm Buddy Duquesne. And I'm Alice White. And this week we're taking on one of, Alice, I gotta say, the most delightful parts about uh, Disneyland and the Magic Kingdom. Uh, We're talking about uh, Mickey's Toontown. That's right, Mickey's Toontown, which uh, is located in the very back of Disneyland, um, tucked away from everyone else, a magical place where the toons can live their lives, and it and we get to to uh, visit and have a, a glimpse. Yeah, we we get to visit them there, and um, it's it's something that I remember very vividly being a big deal for me when I was a kid. Um, and like just wanting to go straight to Toontown and you have to walk through all that boring other stuff like uh, who cares about the giant mountain uh, Ugh, like just, just give me to Toontown <laughs> let's just, just go to Toontown is it the cartoons man just give me to Toontown but it's it's easily a, a, a 10 to 15 minute walk to the back and if you want to take the train it's, it's uh, two stops it's very far <laughs> make um, it sound like it was some huge burden to get there oh man I, I remember having to stop for for a snack maybe maybe at the motel on the way there it was just it was very <laughs> very far alice uh, oh buddy <laughs> um but you know that that's that's funny because toontown um really is kind of a thing that uh, was brand new when we were very young um, and, and that's an interesting phenomenon for me because, uh, Toontown is the only thing that's like that. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about, um, California Adventure opening when we were maybe a little older, uh, maybe a little bit more critical, um, at least, at least a few years into its opening. Um, <laughs> but Toontown, Toontown was like, we were little kids and this was a place that was opened for little kids and that's uh, i mean how how lucky were we on one hand um but on the other hand i can never really trust my memories of toontown um they're, they're always so rose tinted it was the first time i think that a um that that disneyland or any theme park that we were familiar with as children um at the first and, and last time until california adventure was built um, that that the theme park got an expansion like we were it was one way and then all of a sudden it was bigger and because the like rides like I remember certain rides becoming a thing and and being a, a young kid going to you know a, a certain new attraction within the park um but I this is like the 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 thing that I remember being a brand new land like a whole space a whole area um and that made it special yeah and i I guess i guess disneyland um hadn't really expanded out beyond the berm um (laughs) before that and and for listeners who aren't familiar the berm is this this hill uh this man-made hill that encircles disneyland almost entirely um and as the park has expanded, it has gone beyond the berm um, and the, the Disneyland Railroad runs on the berm. Uh, so it, it's it's kind of a, a separation wall between Disneyland and the rest of the world. Uh, right. And it's it, it's really important to um, preserving that feeling of isolation when you're in Disneyland, this feeling of 
of this being a fantastic place that isn't adjacent to uh, the rest of the city of Anaheim. Um, right. And Toontown does something funny with the berm uh, in that they, they expanded the park and you still can't see the outside world when you're in Toontown. But uh, the back wall of Toontown that, you know, backs up to a street literally has uh, like big wooden cutouts of hills <laughs> that, yeah, that, that that implied depth that uh that toontown just goes on forever beyond these these characters houses that we're allowed to see um and the, these big hills really do work to block it off and look like there's more back there um and which is on what top the of berm, that, which is what the berm like wants to do but toontown takes it like literally <laughs> yeah it takes it very very far in that way it, it encircles the the entire land in its own kind of fun fence i guess <laughs> i can't i can't think of another way to describe it but um the thing that toontown does interestingly with the berm itself uh the original berm is it uses the berm as a transition space um and that's something that has always just charmed the heck out of me right. is this uh this entrance to toontown yeah you go under the railroad under the original boundary of the park and through like a little mini tunnel to get into toontown so it's this quite literal barrier like boundary line that separates Toontown from the rest of the park because it's supposed to be its own like world. It's not just a collection of related attractions. It's like the first like it's like the original themed like land where you actually go to a place. We're going to get Galaxy's Edge soon um which is going to do something very similar, but right, that- it, it also uses the berm as a as a transition. Right. Um Oh, good. I'm excited about Galaxy's Edge again. Um, And so so Toontown is it takes that idea super literally and you have to walk through this. And there's a gate there even uh, that they close when it's fireworks time because you can't be back there. That's where they launch the fireworks from behind back there. Um, And so they have this gate and you can literally be shut out of this other world. And I believe there was even kind of a, a story when Toontown was opened that it hadn't it hadn't been built so much as like they dug under the berm one day <laughs> and discovered it and discovered Toontown had been there all along. And of course it had been because Mickey and his friends had to live at Disneyland. They had to live somewhere when they come out to see you and do your parades. Like, right, they, they had to go where somewhere. did they go at night? They went they went, it turns out, over the berm. <laughs> And so the residents of Toontown so graciously let us uh, visit them. Right. And, uh, you know, Alice, I've, I've said berm a lot. <laughs> um, but this episode, we're, we're going to be kind of just talking about Toontown and what Mickey and his friends and the other characters being at Disneyland uh, means and what it adds to the park experience. Um, and maybe kind of compare it to... Um, other other kinds of meet and greets and other characters and things like that that we've experienced and and just try to get to the bottom of like why why is this such a big part of Disneyland's identity and maybe um what it means for the story that Disneyland tells about itself so I'm very excited to talk about this with you yeah this is gonna be fun uh do you want to start us off with a little bit of history sure I'll get us started um, so in uh, 1988, the film Who Framed Roger Rabbit was released into theaters and it was an instant success. 
Uh, also in 1988, uh, uh, Walt Disney World and the Magic Kingdom opened um, a, a tune-themed land for uh, Mickey Mouse's 60th birthday. And uh, that land, that tune-themed land after it was no longer Mickey's birthday, um, became uh, what 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 eventually became Toontown in uh, Walt Disney World. Uh, just a couple years later, in 1993, uh, Disneyland opened Toontown um, in on the um, north end of the map, uh, beyond the berm. Beyond um, the berm. It, it was never anything before. They just they discovered, like we said, we discovered Toontown, um, and it is a uh, it's a small scale recreation of the Mickey Mouse universe, um, where visitors can meet the characters and visit their homes, um, and and the homes are, are constructed uh, in a cartoonish style um, as established kind of uh, intermittently through canon. Uh, in various cartoons and whatnot. Donald Duck lives in a boat because he's a sailor, sailor and, and Mickey's got a, a film barn where he can make his uh, his short films back there in the back. And Goofy's house has is a bounce house where you can, <laughs> like, because he's, cause he's Goofy. Because uh, they he's give so accident prone, he needs everything <laughs> in his house to not hurt him when he falls onto it. Honestly, exactly. it's, it's the ideal environment for a goof like Goofy. Exactly. So yeah, so they opened the, this world to to provide this immersive experience into the land of a tune, which was inspired, of course, from the film Who Framed, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, in which the cartoon characters live separate from humans with ve- with very little crossover. Um, and so then they open the gates and let us cross over, and we get to go in. So so it was a combination of Mickey Mouse and Roger Rabbit's. Uh, worlds have have combined into into one thing, and it's so funny to me because Roger Rabbit, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which is one of my favorite films, um, maybe ever. It's an extremely <laughs> ambitious pro- project uh, that included, I think, licenses from over a dozen studios. Um, the largest of which, of course, were were Disney and Warner Brothers. And um, as part of the deal, Disney got to oversee a bunch of animation um, and was able to secure theme park rights for this idea of Toontown. Um, but if if they had gone whole hog with it, and they kind of did, honestly, in, in <laughs> like a like a fifty fifty sort of way, if they had gone whole hog with it, Toontown would not be an exciting happy place for young kids to visit. I mean, Toontown in the movie is is a violent, chaotic place that is not <laughs> safe for humans. I mean, like, no. the yes, the allegory of Who Framed Roger Rabbit and the uh, the sort of story about how, how Toons are an exploited people whose home is destroyed to make a freeway which is a real thing that happened in Los Angeles in the 30s. Um, entire communities were paved over by these large companies so that they could build freeways. Um, and then again, in the in the later part of the century, yeah, it happens all the time in yeah. LA. Yeah, it, it, Los Angeles' st- uh, story is riddled with this stuff, including uh, the entire premise of the film Chinatown. Um but but yes, okay, take that and, and set that aside, set the allegory aside for a second. The literal text of Toontown is, oh God, 
never go here um it's it's such a scary place i mean eddie is is flattened uh he is chased he falls almost to his death bugs bunny and mickey mouse watch and laugh because being a tune it's it's being it's easy to be a tune yeah well yeah you can't hardly ever really get hurt because you just you know you just bounce back yeah you see you see some some birds or stars and you you are right back to being fine again and that's that's the advantage (laughs) of the tunes and why they become entertainers um in the canon of of that movie but you know then you go to mickey's toontown uh and we actually do kind of have a representation of that side of toontown um simultaneously however we have the idyllic mickey and friends side of toontown as well it's kind of funny that that there's a a kind of uh gritty urban side and a suburban rolling hills have a barn out back side of toontown um it's it's funny to me that they they uh made it that way well yeah because it's like a full-fledged city yeah, it, got, it really is. It's, all parts. it's meant to be a community. Um, yeah. So over over on Roger's side, you know, not only do we have the cartoon spin, which in itself is a pretty great dark ride. It's um, really fun. It's really fun and and an interesting exercise in um, interactivity and kind of adjusting thrill levels based on the audience. Because um, like if you have a really little kid with you, you don't, you're not going to spin the car that much. Um, No, you can even spin the car to avoid seeing certain maybe scarier show scenes. Yeah. Uh, And if you're if you're there for the thrills, however, you can get that thing going about as fast as a teacup. Um, (laughs) Oh, that's, of course, what I do when I'm on it. (laughs) Right. So it's 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 kind of an up to you sort of ride. And I think that's really great um, because otherwise it's a it's a pretty conventional dark ride with some fun effects. But um, they were definitely experimenting with that. Uh, but, you know, over on Roger's side, there's apartment buildings, the fire department, the the, the power plant, the power um, plant. Um, there's a photography store. There's an entire gag factory, which kind of implies that, like, the fun stuff that the tunes use in their cartoons um, are manufactured an assembly and, line. Yeah, and, and real. And you can just, like, buy a good old Acme boxing right. glove. Um, there's... And- uh, there's a, a dog pound. <laughs> oh yeah, which which it has metal. No, it has uh, rubber bars that you can just bend and get out of. Yeah, um, <laughs> it also raises questions in a world where uh, approximately a third of the population is dogs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, there's there's a mail room and uh, post office. Post office, yeah. Uh, and there's all sorts of things, and then and then kind of moving over towards Mickey's. Um, there's a bank and a town square and a gazebo. Uh, there's a public transit system, the Jolly Trolley. Um, which there's also the um, the Ink and Paint Club. Isn't that what it's called? Uh, the Ink and Paint Club in the queue of Who Framed Roger Rabbit. No, but there's the entrance to the Ink and Paint Club. Um, it says it right there on the, there's a, a, it's a show building that doesn't actually do anything tucked there next to the, um, tucked there next to, uh, Daisy's diner is a door that says the ink and paint club on it. That is a detail, Alice. It's right there. I found it on Google maps to confirm. That's incredible. And, and like, 
see in in the context of who framed roger rabbit the ink and paint club has a very different connotation um than i think than i think disney would want it to um out in their family friendly section of toontown <laughs> it's, a, it's like a wink and a nod yeah to, uh, a couple of different references yeah um, but but, you know, Toontown is is a it's it's alive. It's got two big fountains and a park, not to mention the houses of the characters that uh, we all know and love the the Mickey and Friends Fab Five. Right. Uh, Mickey, Donald, Goofy, mm. Minnie. Minnie. Uh, who am I missing? Daisy? Pluto. Mm-hmm. Pluto. Uh, who's the fifth member of the Fab Five? It's Pluto. It's Pluto. It? I'm pretty sure it's Pluto. So Minnie is in the Fab Five, but Daisy is not. No, well, Minnie's Minnie's the hero. She's the best. She is great. She's been around longer. She has been. That's true. Well, uh, what what I'm saying is, though, they have their houses, right? And I think it's really cool that uh, these houses exist, and that they are three dimensional spaces that you can explore and that are themed well. Um, but of course, there's kind of a main attraction, right? There's like a, a reason to be back there in terms of the houses. And Alice, I think you know that I'm going to I'm going to start to talk about uh, Mickey's house and the film barn. Oh, man, I loved I loved Mickey's house when I was a kid. That was my favorite. One, one of my absolute favorite things to do in Disneyland. I loved walking through Mickey's house. Yeah, everything in Mickey's house is uh, so meticulously designed. Um, And what's interesting about Mickey's house is that you can imagine that upon opening day, Mickey's house was a glorified cue for the line to meet Mickey. Um, Right. It is is one big themed cue that you could easily spend an hour in if you had to. Um, and still find something interactive and entertaining and fascinating to look at in there. Uh, right, there's so many details scattered throughout the house, not um, like in the 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 like almost pre-show area of where you're in the house itself. There's like a desk with stationery with his handwriting and signature. There's a TV tuned to some of his uh, most famous cartoons. Even his radio works. Uh, his not radio to mention, works and you can dial it. Not to mention his washing machines and you can see Mickey's laundry. Um, it's, it's incredible. Now, the one thing that has always kind of bugged me about Toontown um, and Mickey's house in particular is the furniture. Has this ever bugged you, Alice? That it's super hard plastic. Yeah, it is It is super hard molded plastic or plaster or something. An obvious, like, design choice. Like, we need these things to stand the test of time. We can't just have them breaking down as people walk through. They need to stay clean. Uh, they need to stay clean. We need to be able to, like, spray them every day and, and disinfect because a bunch, of, a bunch of little babies will be running through here. Um... So, so that's always bugged me, but then again, you can't get that really cartoony, plush look out of Without being actual classic. material. Yeah. Um, so at the same time, you know, it looks perfect uh, and, and you can observe it just right. Uh, a big detail that I, I really love remembering is uh, the doggy door uh, on the stairs of Mickey's house. That Pluto has crashed through and left yes. a Pluto-sized hole. Pluto-sized, <laughs> Pluto-shaped hole uh, with ears and everything. Uh, yeah, where he's run through the door. But yeah, he's got a little dog bed and um, 
there's you know pairs a pair of Mickey's extra shoes by the by the front door you know like that it's it it looks like a lived in cartoon house yeah and that's that's an incredible feat of imagineering and design um and that's just the like getting you into the line to wait to go see Mickey. Yeah, that's just the this is the front part. And and the back part is where things get really interesting, Alice, because uh as we sort of approach Mickey's backyard, which is uh kind of an extensive farm area where Pluto has his doghouse and sometimes you can catch Pluto there at his doghouse. Mm-hmm. Um and there's that fun interactive or semi-interactive uh part of the queue with the carrots that get stolen by gophers and stuff Um, (laughs) that's really funny that's really great you can you can end up in mickey's film barn which is a collection of memorabilia and props and set pieces from mickey's various cartoons up to 1993 um including the magic mirror from the sorcerer's apprentice uh including Oh, geez, I don't even know. Boxes and boxes and boxes and boxes of gloves. (laughs) (laughs) And Um, uh, a a big, like, uh, symphony machine that he he had in one cartoon. Um, And, like, all sorts of stuff. Like, it's it's implied that Mickey uh, is always working and is always making more movies. Because his cartoons are movies. And that he himself makes his cartoons in in his own like personal studio yeah like he's he's an artist he's not just an actor or he's a director yeah i mean he's he's more a an avatar for even walt disney himself in this in this canon in this this toontown canon um (laughs) walt had a barn that is in los angeles that you can go and visit um it wasn't for movies it was kind of just like to hang out um but, you know, you can kind of imagine Imagineers thinking about ways that they could align Mickey's story to Walt's story. Um, exactly. And Mickey is not just a, a character. He's an entertainer and a, uh, a theme park person. He's he, he, he's part of Disneyland. He's part of the culture. Um, and on top of that all, he's kind of this... A uh, meticulous filmmaker who lets people come and visit while he's making his movies uh, because I mean that's what he's great at that's what he's always doing and that's so cool to me Alice that like they, the the story gets realigned Mickey is Walt Walt is Mickey and that means while Mickey is here so is kind of Walt Disney himself in this small way yeah I like yeah, I like how you put that. That's um, I've always noticed the parallels there, but I never really thought to to connect all of that together. That's uh, that's true. Yeah, I mean, from the statue out in the middle of the plaza where Walt and Mickey are holding hands, you know, like Mickey is an extension of Walt Disney. And when Walt Disney was no longer with us, I think the Imagineers did a lot to continue that legacy and use and Mickey became the the face of the entire park they they I mean he already was but giving him part of Walt's like personality this like visionary this like uh renaissance man kind of kind of guy instead of just like a goofy cartoon mouse from silly symphony cartoons (laughs) 
um, I think was, yeah, a really inspired piece of, uh, of work. Yeah, for sure. And, and so in the, in the lead up to meeting Mickey, you get to, if the, if the line is long, um, you get to watch some of Mickey's cartoons. Um, and then uh, a certain amount of guests at a time are allowed to see Mickey. Um, and he's on set. He's on one of his sets. Uh, sometimes he's doing Sorcerer's Apprentice. Sometimes he's doing Steamboat Willie. Um, and anything, anything in between, anything in the canon is on the table. Um, and it, it's always a really cool moment to be like, okay, Mickey's ready to see you guys now. Um, oh. and then you get walked back and like, he, he's like, you know, kind of just in his, in his studio, he's waving goodbye to the last group and he's like, come on in. Um, of course, Mickey come doesn't, on in. I've got time to see you and hug you and take a picture. Yeah. Uh, and, and that there's, there's a lot of appeal to that. Um, there's this. This kind of like, ah, you start to freak out a little bit. I think it's certainly helped along by the presence of all of this hype um, walking through his house, right? Like, you kind of feel like you know him now. Um, and like, <laughs> here he is. Or maybe you don't feel like you know him. You feel like you know a lot about him, but like you've only heard about him. And now here he is right in front of you. Finally meeting Giving you a hug good. and a kiss and 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 taking your picture and... And he's always in some some sort of fun costume. Sometimes he's Steamboat Willie. Oh, I have a picture of him as Steamboat Willie, Mickey, and um, and yeah, like he's it's like he's stopped to do like a meet and greet mid shoot. Yeah, like. and and that's that's a really cool thing to imply that like the characters are they're busy. They got stuff going on, but they're they're also here to say hi and. It, kind of kind of giving them that like other business um really brings them more to life now yeah disneyland characters don't talk um now at, at disney world for a while mickey talked um and i know that the, they're kind of phasing that out i think there was something about the way that the technology worked and the the costs associated with it where um mickey is going to talk a lot less um at Disneyland, uh, at California Adventure, you can see Mickey talk um, at uh, a couple of parades and the the streetcar thing with the newsies. Um, <laughs> uh, Mickey will lean out and he'll be like, I'm Mickey. Here's the newsies. Um, and his mouth moves and it's very cool. His, his, his eyes blink in the right ways and stuff. It's, it's amazing. Now, when you meet Mickey, that's not the case. Um, no. And so a lot of communication is done. Uh, just through movements and hand gestures and uh, some noises that are like approved for Mickey to make the um, the, the smacky kissy sound or like the like a giggle doesn't he giggle I oh. think he I think he can giggle um, and that's that's kind of a general rule for a lot of uh, Disneyland characters except for like face characters that are uh, Princesses just, uh, yeah. and stuff like that. And those those characters will have conversations with you. I think it's an interesting line to draw. And I, I'm always kind of impressed about how little that mattered to me as a kid. Um, yeah, I didn't need Mickey to talk to me. No. I just but, wanted him to give me a hug. Yeah, like it, it, it but it never, and a high five it never something. bothered me that Mickey was uh, maybe taller than he should have been. Um because because Mickey's small in in his cartoons, he's he's short. Um, he's not mouse sized, but he spends a lot of time being smaller than other characters. Um, shorter than Goofy, for example, or shorter than Pete. 
Um, so Mickey's on the short end of the animation scale. And when you meet Mickey at six feet tall, uh, plus ears, uh, <laughs> that should be a huge leap in believability. Um, but I think, you know, in, in the eyes of a kid, probably not. Um, and that, that's an interesting thing because there are characters that are the right size exactly. Um, for example, the princesses, right? They are exactly human size. <laughs> They're between five six and five eight. <laughs> I went to that audition once. I am too tall. You are too tall to be a princess. That's interesting, Alice. And the uh, the the people who go in the suits for the smaller characters who who become costume characters like Mickey, they've got to between be between uh, five foot and five two. Right. And or the tall ones like Goofy, he's between six foot and six two. Wow. So Mickey's house is this very structured, uh, very thought out process of like build up and meeting Mickey. And then you get to walk out into town and be like, what else is there to see? Uh, it's a very cool process um, and it tells its own story. Um, but, you know, there's this other thing at disneyland that's a big deal which is the walk around characters right sometimes you're just walking around and you'll look over and like there's captain jack sparrow you look over there uh there's chip and dale you take another look oh there's corella Deville, and they're they're all just walking around kind of being in the park um and recently at uh tomorrowland at the star wars launch bay there have been opportunities for more mickey style meet and greets where um, you wait in line to meet a character and when they're ready for you, you go in and you take your picture and there's there's maybe a little bit of time for a conversation and just to, to hang out and meet and greet. And then you go out into Tomorrowland and there's the rest of the day. Um, and Alice, last time I was at Disneyland, I met Chewbacca. And it, oh, I would have died. It was amazing. <laughs> I, 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 meeting Chewbacca was a highlight and, and it wasn't a... Uh, it, it, no no part of it felt like a waste of time um, Chewbacca gave us a hug he noticed my Star Wars outfit it was very cool um, the picture awesome. turned out amazing it was just so cool to hang out with Chewbacca for a minute and a half and that's all you need really I um, did the same thing at, at Epcot I got to meet Baymax oh my god from Big Hero 6, yes. all I wanted, as soon as I saw that he was there, I was like, all I want in this whole wide universe is for him to hug me. And I got a big old hug and I disappeared into his depths no. because he's so squishy. Is, is, is it as cool as it looks like it would be? It's exactly as cool. Oh my God. I, I totally vanished. And it like, uh, the pictures are hysterical. I'll put them up on the Twitter. Um, I'll put them up on my Twitter at Alice White THP. Um, <laughs> Uh, uh, before and after like me going in for the hug and then as my friend Jenna put it he uh, <laughs> he uh, sent my head to another galaxy it was just gone I'm just completely gone <laughs> just, just disappearing into Baymax um, it's the best meeting the characters is the best even as, as an adult you just if you can suspend that disbelief for just like a minute yeah and allow yourself to think I am gonna meet this character yeah, it's fun. It, it is fun. And I, I've been thinking about it a lot since I had that much fun meeting Chewbacca because then we went and met Darth Vader Ooh. and Darth meeting Darth Vader was intimidating, um, which is such an interesting thing. I am an adult, Alice. 
I, I, I pay taxes. I have seen Star Wars and I do not fear Darth Vader anymore because I know that he, he turns out to be a good person at the end. Yeah, but there he is standing in front of you, breathing heavily. Yep. Yeah, and, and the the cast members that attend him are like, do not speak to Lord Vader. Lord Vader will oh, speak awesome. to you. And like, oh. everybody line up here. And then Vader turns around and he's like, you're a rebel spy. And I'm like, ah! <laughs> I was speechless, unable to move. And so I was thinking about this this experience with Chewbacca that was warm and kind and inviting uh just like a, an experience meeting mickey and i was thinking about this experience uh meeting darth vader which was cold and intimidating um but also perfect right like that's what meeting vader should be um I, and i've been thinking about like the ways that the character meet and greet uh has some unrealized potential because these experiences are limited um but when you can have them with the appropriate uh, atmosphere and build up and stuff like that, they, they really do kind of expand beyond just kind of like, oh, haha, we all we all like understand the illusion of this moment. This is like kind of fun. Take a selfie to like true experientiality, like you're truly meeting a character. Um, and, you know, I've been thinking about that a lot lately, and I, I, I'm not even sure what I mean by untapped potential, but I think there's something there. I think that it's different to go into Mickey's house or to go into like a special room where Darth Vader is waiting for you versus just like I'm walking down Main Street and oh, off in the corner in that unused corner next to Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln, there's Daisy Duck who's just who's signing autographs and saying hi. Like, and that's cute and sweet. And, and, and I'd be like, oh, look, it's Daisy. But to like go in, if, if, if Daisy was like at Daisy's diner back in Toontown, I'd be like, whoa, there she is. Like, like in her, where she wants to be in her, you know, in her, she's not just signing autographs. She's like existing in a world. Yeah. Like she's there in her element. She's, she'd be surrounded by things that add to her presence, add to the feeling of reality. Um, yeah, I think there's a big difference there and not to, and like, Obviously, it's important that everybody gets to see a character walk around and, and you know, wave at them and say hi and, and stuff like that, that we don't all have to wait in hour long lines just to meet, a, you know, a character like, yeah, you want to see them walking around Main Street because Main Street's Main Street. Like that's that's where you where, you know, everything happens That's where you walk in and, and to see characters you know, milling about just like you, it's, it makes that immersive, yeah. but, but the like, yeah, immersive, there's a celebrity signing, you know, signing autographs in a corner versus going into their home and meeting them. And yeah, the, I mean, there's a, there's a big tonal difference there and they both have their place. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I just, I was thinking about this other thing that I saw this week. Um, speaking of animatronics and great moments with Mr. Lincoln, um, in California Adventure right now in celebration of the uh, kind of autumnal season uh, because mm -hmm. it is now September. Uh, there's a there's a big area where there's a cocoa performance. Uh, 
Um, oh my god! And so in the performance, there's this puppet of Miguel that is being, uh, you know, manipulated by this this puppeteer, and it's very cool. The puppeteer is also in costume, fits right in, blends in with the rest of the performers. But there's Miguel in front of him playing the guitar and singing. The puppet is amazing. It blinks. It talks. Um, isn't it? Isn't it? Is uh, Miguel's feet on the puppeteer's feet, and yeah. they're moving like that, like that kind of puppet? Yeah, it's very. Oh my cool. gosh. Um, and it, it's remarkably lifelike. And I was thinking, like, okay, we're gonna do a meet and greet of Miguel from Coco, and we're gonna put a five and a half foot person in a costume with a giant head, uh, that, that, <laughs> so that the scale looks right. Uh, based on the animated character. And I, I just realized to myself how, like, not good that is. Not for every character. Not every single character needs to be in a suit like that. Right. And and I I thought to myself, like, okay, this puppet really works. Like, why not the puppet hanging out, shaking hands, signing autographs? Obviously, some of that is pretty tough for a puppet to do. Um, <laughs> but I, I feel like, why not... Mickey should be ideally two and a half to three and a half feet tall. Um, and, and No, he's larger than life. He, he should be about as, as tall as he is in the statue, uh, the partner statue, uh, compared to Walt. Yeah, he's about half but, Walt's size. Yeah, like liter- literally that's how tall he should be. Right. But Mickey Mouse is Mickey Mouse. Pick somebody else. Mickey Mouse is like our guy. Okay. He's our Walt. He's our dude. But imagine, if you will, for a moment, Alice, a very detailed Mickey animatronic that is three and a half feet tall that as you walk into his room spins around and he's painted to look like Steamboat Willie. And mm-hmm. he says, oh, hey, it's me, Mickey. Welcome to my movie barn. Here I am. I'm, I'm just about to, to steamboat Willie. Uh, and he's the right <laughs> size, Alice. And he's animated and he's excited and he's articulate. And somebody's doing the voice and, and helping him move like back behind the scenes. But it's real and it's happening. And there he is. There's Mickey Mouse. I feel like that's a huge improvement that could be made and that the technology exists. Maybe. I can see it. Like, like I really want to see this Miguel puppet for example um i could see it but right for me right now for as long as mickey mouse has been you know five five and a half almost six feet tall with ears um that is what mickey looks like now for me Hmm. like I, i regardless of how tall i know that he's supposed to be well no he's a different size every time he's like he's like mouse size in in a lot of cartoons where he's you know steering the little steamboat down the river he like can't can't see over the wheel or whatever he's like itty bitty yeah where he's you know or he's i don't know he it's mickey he changes to me mickey mouse is when i i think about mickey mouse he's as tall as the suit every time so that's mickey how, is exactly as mickey tall as mickey now. appears Yes. And I think that's that's to the credit of the environment that Disneyland sets up and the, the ability to to believe in things like that. Yeah, I've been to his house too many times to picture how uh, any d- other sized Mickey. Fair enough. Fair enough. I just wanted to run that by you because I've been thinking a lot about animatronic think, meet and greets lately. No, oh, I think that would be appropriate for new for maybe for newer characters. Um, a little droid like like a BB-8 droid or an R2-D2 droid oh, like meetup like that. That would be extremely cool. 
Um, Imagine K2SO. Oh my gosh, I would literally faint. I know. Probably. <laughs> um, yeah, that would be cool. Um, but uh, I think... No, I think that the size of the cup, because like you said, you didn't care when you were a kid how big Mickey was. No. He's hu- he's hugging size. Yeah. <laughs> it, it didn't matter because there Mickey was. And, and yeah. that's all that matters. If he was me. a delicate little animatronic, you couldn't give him a hug. You could not. And you could probably not even high five the animatronic. Yeah. So I think that's where you have to have to draw the line. If it's a character, like just like a cool character doing like a show and you're like, wow, neat. Or if it's like a lovable Baymax huggy character, he's got to be huggable size. Okay. He can't be little. Fair, fair. You know, I, I, that reminds me a little bit of uh, Turtle Talk with Crush. Um, um, yeah, or the a similarly possible in in like would not make sense in the flesh. You could not meet a giant turtle and be like, I believe this. Um, <laughs> right. He's got to be this really cool piece of animation where he uh, he's he can be he can be customized like he can he can talk and interact with with the kids. Mm-hmm. But he's on a screen yeah. like he's got to be. And kids know that because, you know, that screen might as well be the glass of an aquarium. Yeah, and I think, I think that's the conceit of that attraction. Um, so anyways, that's that's all to say that I think character meet and greets are great. I think there's a lot to be said for the feelings that they can produce uh, no matter your age. And I think that not only are they. Well, Alice, I I don't know how to say this next part. And I'm starting to worry. Uh, can we. Can I step into your office? Can we have an aside? Uh, yeah. I mean, sure. I mean, I'd like, uh, give, yeah, just uh, follow, yeah, follow me right here. I'd like here. to have an aside for, for a second if we could. Um. Okay. Okay. What do you want to say? Alice, I'm pretty sure that having characters at Disneyland completely blows the lid off of literally everything about animation. <laughs> uh okay do tell and I, I, i'd like to i'd like to start you off by saying uh i have had this theory for many years and i i am only now starting to realize its true potential for connecting the animated world to our world uh and i think disney has been trying to tell us this but has never stated it explicitly because it's too mind-bending Okay, mind-bending enough, we needed to be in the office to talk about it. This is a secret. Can't let anybody know. If Disney ever hears this, they'll probably try to erase me. So I need to... (laughs) Well, we'll we'll get it on the recording for posterity. Good. Um, So, Alex, this is the grand unified theory of animated characters at Disneyland. All right, shoot. In 1993, when Disney opened Mickey's Toontown... One of the discovered, Mickey's uh, sorry, Toontown. discovered Mickey's Toontown, opened it to the public. Um, <laughs> one of the biggest things on television at the time was the Disney Channel, and one of the biggest things about the Disney Channel at the time was the Cartoon Afternoon. And this was a series of animated cartoons um, that were uh, kind of lower budget, lower grade stuff, but that um, only 90 kid, 90, 90 kids, <laughs> only 90s kids will remember. Um, so, c- cartoon shows like uh, The Goof Troop, Tailspin, Gummy Bears, DuckTales, um, all of which are, you know, 
classics of their of their genres. I'm also thinking about Darkwing Duck and Chippendale's Rescue Rangers. That was my favorite one. Uh, great shows, all of which are great shows, um, and and some of which hold up better than you would think. Um, but something that's so interesting about this particular lineup of shows is that it used classic Disney characters, some of which had not been in a feature-length animated film or feature short in decades to tell new stories in new settings, in sometimes in completely new genres, but with the same characters, with the same name and personality. And this is where things start to get weird, Alice, because Baloo (laughs) went from a bear in the jungle who sang songs about the simple life to a bear on an island who flies planes <laughs> in service of an orangutan who runs a juice bar against a sky wolf pirate. <laughs> but his name was still Baloo and he still had a laid back cool attitude about everything goofy went from a ostensibly single male goof who made a lot of mistakes while a narrator told him how bad he was at things to a single (laughs) dad of a not not young baby like of a of a like a 12 13 year old kid well he's like going off to college age no uh, that's that's in an extremely goofy movie that was many years later it wasn't that many it was years. Many, later, all right. Many. Fine. Max. Max is a, is a teen. Max is a teenager. So the the single father of a teenager uh, who lives next to Pete, who is traditionally a Mickey villain, but in this is cast as the uh, kind of over the top uh, jerk of a dad to his own teen son. And, and yeah, and, when did Pete get a teen son? Uh, I don't know, but Petey Junior exists. Um, chip and dale went from mischievous chipmunks to running a i think they're part of the rescuers universe actually and i haven't checked my stats on that connection yet um it makes sense but yeah they run like a search and rescue yeah like a like a, a mystery solving mouse team doesn't make a lot of sense but we'll roll with it uh donald lives with his nephews at uncle scrooge's mansion they go on adventures their pilot is also the sidekick of a superhero on the weekends. It's insane how these characters kind of got jumbled up, shifted around, and then kind of resold, but not as different characters, as the same characters in kind of redesigned places, but not, but not that different, except outside of some genre markers. So okay. So your 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 evidence is substantial. What does it mean, buddy? What does it mean? What it means for Disneyland, however, is this: if you can be walking around and meet Baloo, Baloo can be on his way to shoot Tailspin, or can be basking in the glory days of the Jungle Book. But he's <laughs> gone from because of the cartoon afternoon. He's gone from washed out icon to working actor and now things are getting interesting because is not only is mickey 
a director, but his contemporaries are actors who work for a living, who are still making new stuff and who are trying out new roles. Baloo is the Tom Cruise of the animated universe. <laughs> and, and Tailspin is a Top Gun and, franchise. And Tailspin is Top Gun. Thank you, Alice, for, for understanding okay. me. <laughs> okay, so do you think then maybe that like shows like Tailspin, like those, sh- those shows are shows the characters in them are actors and they film those shows maybe in the film barn that's that's an interesting question because i think yes i think that's a good instinct i want you to go with Baloo that is an actor and when he goes to work he commutes into disneyland walks into mickey's house goes backstage into the film barn and films an episode of tailspin and then goes home or they they film an episode of tailspin somewhere else in the park or or some other location okay they shoot on location but maybe for studio work yeah studio work could be done at disneyland and that's easy to believe because these characters live and exist here and and that's not a tough thing but alice i got i got one more kind of thing to to spin at you about this though at Disneyland, to tailspin at you. At Disneyland, you can meet uh, villains, uh, scary villains. Uh, recently, it seems like every time I'm there, Cruella Deville is just out and about, and she is pretty she's spooky. a bad person, and she's she's <laughs> terrifying. She will run you over to make a dog coat, and that's bad. She's bad. Um, <laughs> but at Disneyland, she's maybe a little i don't know she's a little mean a little grumpy yeah, she's a little grumpy but she's not evil so i guess what i'm saying is like uh, under under the theory you just said the jungle book is a documentary about an actual bear that then became an actor and starred in the hit television show tailspin mhm i'm wondering where that line gets drawn for the villains i think what disneyland is saying is that those movies are really always just movies cruella she's an actress she'll show up and and drive a car over some people to make her dog coat but she's like not a nice person in real life because like we're not lying to you the movies aren't lies but she is like a person you can be around and not fear for your life in real life (laughs) Right, and they're signing. They they'll all sign autographs in your little auto, autograph book. Like I was saying before, you can just see them on the corner in Main Street because this is like, because if Disneyland say was like a like a microcosm of say the city of Los Angeles, for example, and each thing was like an each land was a neighborhood. Um, and you've got your celebrities walking around signing autographs and making movies and. And stuff like that. And the movies that Disney releases are the products of those experiences. Then you're just doing like a studio tour, like a like a like a tram ride at Universal or whatever. But it's a walking tour and you get to ride rides and meet people while you're at it. I think I think like not only is it a studio tour, but it's kind of an affirmation like these these places, these people that you uh, you see on the screen and that you kind of know and love for that that performance you can meet them and they they are real they're just not like they're not psychopaths <laughs> <laughs> uh you know hades you can meet hades and he's not on fire it's it's like hair you know it's normal he's not on fire and he's not literally like king of the yeah, underworld he's he's just like a guy he's, he's just james woods but blue 
Um, <laughs> so, you know, still pretty bad. Um, but, you know, like you can you can meet these characters and, and it's not especially with the villains. It's never going to feel dangerous. It, it might feel a little intimidating, especially with Darth Vader. But like that's interesting because when I met Darth Vader, my belief wasn't ah, I'm meeting Darth Vader, the actor. Uh, <laughs> my belief there was this is Darth Vader. He's mad at me. And that's <laughs> that maybe means that my whole theory doesn't mean anything. But I think with the inclusion of Toontown and the lampshading of Mickey as filmmaker in its construction and then the work that was being done on the cartoon afternoon and the the kind of almost meta use of the characters at the time that something was being said at least and i think that something was it you can still believe this but maybe a little less literally than we imagined at first like take it down yeah. one notch of believability i'm going to uh, not to prolong this conversation just even further, um, but what if instead of, no, it, it it might not be as just like one notch less real than you think it is. What if it's magic? What if it's not like, oh, well, these are all actors walking around being actors before going off to their next set. What if it was literally you're in a magical place and the things like it's part of the immersion that everybody loves about Disney parks so much and why everybody's always singing the praise of why Disney is the what Disneyland parks Disney parks are the kings of theme parks it's because you feel like you've been immersed in magic so what if it's not um like uh, uh, these actors are or maybe it is maybe it still is these actors are walking around um, before going to their next shoot or you know like like being celebrities signing autographs and, and stuff like that but it's not because what you've seen in the movies isn't as real or like making you aware like hey that's a movie but what if it's literally just like magic yeah we just kind of magically pulled them off the screen and here they are yeah and they're and they but like they're in the real world with real world like ethics and stuff they're not gonna like that you pull them out it's like um it's not like they just come out of the screen they come out of the screen as actors in the film that you loved and the film that you love was awesome and it was and it was totally real but magically we pulled out these actors for you to meet i don't know magic yeah and absolutely why wouldn't like if we've got if we've got you know literal like five foot tall mice running around and and literal princesses and fairies who can give you hugs and talk to you and and stuff like why not why not magic that's true and and i think i think disneyland um in general says that uh there's there's even kind of that uh evocation as you go through those tunnels under the train on your way through the main gate that's like here you cross out of today the world 
and into the land of yesterday, tomorrow, and fantasy. And, fantasy. Um, and so that that is saying nothing here is a real place. This is a magic place. Um, this is literally. Magic. It is beyond the real. It is is super real. Um, because like, what if Disney actually discovered actual real magic and is pretending to be a theme park this whole time? Is what I'm oh, saying. Oh, that's what you're saying. Um, I'm like, what if it's literally magic? I'm not saying like, I'm not saying like this is the story Disney's telling. I'm saying like, wh- I'm I'm going with you. What if this is literally magic? Yeah. Okay. Uh, for answers on that, Alice, I think I would recommend listeners go to Neil Gaiman's American Gods. Uh, oh, good. We're back to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, such a good absolutely. I, I think I think maybe there is a little bit of magic here, and the magic is the the complicated um, fiction that is worked around these characters, and the way that it can pass between um, being constructed and feeling very real, and. I think that's what's special about meet and greets and what makes Toontown such a cool experiment is this idea that uh, it is a real thing uh, and it it is here and we discovered it. And if you if you squint just right, that's real. That's true. Um, And if we accept that that's true, then what that means is that so are the feelings and that's what Disney's chasing I think in the design of their parks and I think they've nailed it time and time again it's magic I cannot wait to pass beneath the berm and approach Star Wars Galaxy's Edge oh god I'm so excited like that, will, that will be a moment that uh, leaves a very definite impact on me I'm sure and to sit down in a Star Wars cantina and have a a libation for adults. Um, oh, you yeah, you best believe that that's on that the list. It's a hundred percent the first thing I'll be oh, doing. Yeah. Uh, sitting there for as long as they will let me. In whatever wretched hive of scum and villainy they create for me, I'm getting fully immersed. I'm, I'm hoping that there are more than are being reported, uh, more wretched hives than than we know of. well alice it sounds like our conversation about toontown and character meet and greets and the uh weirdness thereof has come (laughs) to an end uh that's right buddy but as listeners well know the conversation continues on the internet on the internet on the internet you can find us on twitter uh i'm at alice white thp and i'm at buddy underscore duquesne remember duquesne is spelled D-U-Q-U-E-S-N-E. And between the two of us and using the hashtag those happy places, we're always talking about theme parks and rides and attractions. We've been on a Galaxy's Edge kick uh, lately, but we want to uh, talk to you more. So if you have any thoughts about this episode or past episodes, always tweet at us. We are uh, literally always on Twitter. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm never not on Twitter. Uh, and, and Twitter has been such a great place for us. And Alice, I... Um, I want to take a moment to plug one of my other things. Uh, so through Twitter, I was contacted or rather maybe I uh, stumbled into a help wanted post from the Mythos series. It's an audio drama podcast. 
Um, so that's at Mythos Series at uh, on on Twitter, and they were looking for a uh, a dashing and handsome voice actor to play the critical role of spaceport control in their debut episode. And Alice, um, you know, I thought of you right away. Um, uh, yes, da- dashing and handsome. Uh, but unfortunately, you were not available that day. And I said to myself, <laughs> well, you know, I am neither dashing nor handsome, but I will. I do have a microphone. Um, <laughs> and and if I may say so, a rather dashing voice. Uh, is You didn't just dashing. And handsome. Um, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Alice. Um, so, yeah, I, I recorded I recorded the Spaceport control lines for um, the first episode of Mythos. And I think you guys should all check it out. It's a really great podcast. I'm excited to have even been a very small part of it. Um, it, it is a space travel meets magic. Uh, that sounds amazing. And it, it follows a young mage who finds herself crossing the galaxy in search of a mysterious and ancient relic. And that's, I think, going to be the arc of the first season. Um, and let me tell you guys, it was a really cool treat to listen in and hear my voice. Um, <laughs> and everybody else's voice. It's a very well produced podcast with uh, really amazing sound design. So uh, please check them out. Mythos the series at Mythos the series. Um, that sounds great. Can I plug something else that I'm doing? Yeah, plug your thing. Okay. Um, uh, TH Ponders and I uh, have a, a monthly podcast called Rogue Fun, a podcast story, uh, where we, uh, every single month until the end of time, are going to be rewatching Rogue One, a Star Wars story, and uh, and talking about it. Um, this month's episode, uh, we ran so long that actually you are in luck that in September you will be hearing two entire episodes of Rogue Fud, a podcast story. Um, We uh, are having such a great time and have such wonderful interactions with Star Wars fans on Twitter. Uh, So if that sounds like something that you would be interested in, you can find us on Twitter at Rogue Fun Pod or using the hashtag uh, hashtag uh, Rogue Fun Pod. Alice, Rogue Fun is my favorite podcast right now. Like, Wait, really? I listen to it the moment it drops. And I, I listen to it intently, um, usually while crying. Uh, <laughs> and it's it's just such an amazing, thoughtful production that you and Ponders are putting on. It is so cool. Um, everybody must hear Rogue, Rogue Fun. It has Thank changed you, everything about what I thought about Rogue One. Uh, uh, and- I... I know that your opinion has changed, and believe me, you got a real big shout out in episode two, in September episode two. I am uh, looking forward to it. Don't you fret, because I call you out real good. Okay, okay, good. <laughs> I'm ready. Uh, well, yeah, that's uh, that's me. And uh, if you, uh, if we appreciate you all listening um, and interacting and tweeting at us, uh, stay tuned for uh, some new fun developments uh, from those happy places. We uh, we're looking, we're both so addicted to making these podcasts that we want to do more. So uh, yeah, keep your, keep your eyes open, follow us on Twitter and on Facebook, facebook.com slash those happy places for updates and conversations that you don't want to miss. Definitely. Uh, Alice, did you know that if our audience is listening to us right now, then they're hearing our theme music? Is our theme music called Golden Gate by the California Feet Warmers featuring Phil Alvin? Yes, you can find the Feet Warmers on YouTube or on their website, CaliforniaFeetWarmers.com. 
Excellent. What about additional music, buddy? Oh, well, Alice, any additional music that our audience heard came from Poddington Bear, which is a amazing artist who made all of their work available on the Free Music Archive. You can check all of that out and other music at thefreemusicarchive.org. And if you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, and tell your friends. And be sure to uh, find us online at thosehappyplaces.com. That's right. Alice, I think I'd like to say thank you to all the listeners. I also would like to say thank you to the listeners and to you, my best friend, buddy. Oh, Alice, thank you for being on the show with me. And I hope we return to those happy places. 